Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cedar and Cypress podcast. You are listening to episode two. I'm Allison. And I'm Liv. And we are just so excited to have you back. If you have not yet listened to last week's episode about God and the nature of God and how we try to sometimes fit God into our intellect, just make sure to go ahead and listen to that first episode. The episode you're about to listen to uh, kind of serves as part two to that. Today, we're going to be diving into the names of God and the different ways that God is called upon in the scriptures and um, labels that he endorses for himself or ones that he rejects. Um, But before we jump into that, just wanted to start with something fun and go over and share the best part of our week. So Liv, if you want to go first, would you want to share the best part of your week? Sure. Um, So the best part of my week this week, um, my husband and I um, always tried to do like a date day um, or at least like a date once a week at least Um, because we're both super, super busy and we tend to have conflicting schedules to the point where uh, I literally will see him like at night and in the morning and then I don't see him at all for like three days. Um, just because our schedules are so crazy sometimes. I'm sure other people get me on that. But um, yeah, so we did this really nice date um, where we kind of just went to the park. There was like a little food festival going on um, and my favorite food truck was there. So we went there and we got food. We got some coffee. They had a coffee truck um, and it was just so nice. Like we just sat outside and just talked to each other and, um, you know, ate our yummy food and stuff. And um, yeah, it was a good time. So that was probably my favorite. Ooh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I love that you guys are setting aside that time every week to be intentional, even though your schedules are so different. Definitely. Yeah, I'm definitely, uh, I definitely want to be intentional about that. Cause for me, like my main love language is quality time. So if we don't spend time together, like I feel it deeply, you know, it's like, oh, we just need to spend some time together. Like, yeah. um, so yeah, it's super important to me. And I love that we can both be intentional about that. Yeah. So what was the best part of your week? Sure. So the best part of my week was probably Saturday morning. So I woke up a little bit earlier than my husband. He likes to sleep in a little bit more. And it was probably around 9 a.m. So still kind of sleeping in. I know for some of you, you'll think like, oh, that's pretty late. (laughs) But yeah, I woke up at 9 a.m. and uh, just had some time to myself. So the Bible reading plan I'm working through right now has me starting 1 Samuel that had me starting the first three chapters of first Samuel that day. Uh, so I kind of just had some time where I had no plans. I had nothing to do, nothing on my to-do list. And so um, you might think, you know, I got myself a nice cup of coffee and sat down and, you know, did my Bible yes. reading, but I actually had Chipotle leftover from the night before from takeout. So I reheated the rest of my Chipotle bowl and I sat down with my Bible and I enjoyed my Chipotle and my first three chapters of First Samuel on Saturday morning. That, that was the best part. Awesome. <laughs> Honestly, though, like leftovers for breakfast hit different. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like the age old saying of like pizza, cold pizza for breakfast, like Chipotle leftovers for breakfast in that category, guys. Try it if you haven't. Yeah. It's It's really not bad. Love my burrito bowl. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 
Yeah, so we're pretty much going to jump right in. Like Allison said before um, this episode, we're going to be talking about the names of God. Um, We're going to be kind of going over um, as many of them as we can. There is so much to unpack there. Um, And there are also so many names of God that we see mentioned in scripture. Um, So we are going to kind of touch on each one of them um, briefly. Um, However, we are going to kind of spend most of our time discussing them as a whole. Um, But first, we do kind of want to mention them because we do want to um, just use that as a way to describe God more, kind of going um, from the end of our last episode into today's episode. Um, So we're going to jump right into that. So I wanted to start this discussion by going over the Hebrew word Elohim. Now, this is something that just completely blew my mind when I started studying this Hebrew word and how it's used in the Hebrew text. So what I discovered when I started studying that is that Elohim is the Hebrew word meaning God or gods. And it describes the way that Hebrew writers would refer to spiritual beings who reside in the heavenly realm. So God, the God that we know, is an example of that. But other examples of those spiritual beings are angels or of fallen angels, which are also referred to as demons. We also see different types of angels in the Bible, such as cherubim. So a lot of different type of spiritual beings that we as humans can't see but absolutely do exist, but are just, you know, outside of our sight. So when we say the word God and referring to Elohim, we're actually referring to God as a category. Even though God is not a title, it's a category. The Hebrew word Elohim refers to the spiritual beings and the God we know is the Elohim of Elohim. It's kind of like if you were to call God, God, it's like calling your friend human because it's the type of being that they are, rather than calling them by their name. So we wanted to kind of get to know God by his real name and what he calls himself and what people in the Bible have called him. So we know that God is the Elohim of Elohim. We see God described this way pretty often in the Bible. Uh, The Holy of Holies described his presence in the Ark of the Covenant in Leviticus. Uh, In Revelation, Jesus is referred to as the King of Kings, and God is referred to as Holy, Holy, Holy. And there are several areas in the Old Testament across the New Testament as well that Jesus and God the Father are referred to as the Lord of Lords. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to be just referring to God by his category and by the type of being he is, but by his names and by the way that people have called him throughout the scriptures and referred to him throughout the scriptures. So did you have any thoughts on that, Olivia? Yeah, I think that's super interesting. I actually did not know that, that it's um, kind of referring to a category of spiritual beings. Um, That's really cool. I think just because um, we do see so often in scripture that God um, is mentioned as like, as well as Jesus um, is mentioned as like the King of Kings, um, the Lord of Lords, the God of gods, the alpha and the omega. Um, So it kind of does um, just give another, definition of his uh transcendence above all things of his holiness and uh his glory and his majesty so i think that's super super awesome i love that yeah so we also wanted to um kind of jump in next to the names of jehovah um so i do just want to say there are a lot of them (laughs) i do not know how to pronounce some of them (laughs) so 
please bear with me here. Um, we're kind of going to run through them because I feel like these are so important to talk about because um, they truly do describe many of the attributes and the roles of God um, and of Jesus as well. So I feel like it's so important to talk about these, um, but we're not going to spend super long on each one of them um, just because, like I said, there are so many. So first off, we have Jehovah Nisi, which is the Lord, my banner. Um, so this is one that, to be totally honest, I remember growing up, especially in the church, um, I heard this pretty often, but I always wondered, like, what in the world does that mean? Like, the Lord is my banner. Um, like, we hear things that are so self-explanatory all the time, like the Lord heals, the Lord is my shepherd, which we're going to go over in a second. But the Lord is my banner um, is kind of different. So what does it really mean for the Lord to be our banner um, well, if you think about a banner just in general, like what are they used for? Because um, in short, this kind of means that uh, the Lord is for us. Like a banner signifies your representation or um, kind of almost like a logo, if you will. Um, so when it means that the Lord is our banner, it truly just means that he is for us, that we are in Christ. We are in the image of God. Um, so that's kind of just a short definition of that one. Um, next is Jehovah Rapha, which is the Lord that heals. Um, so just kind of the definition of God as our healer. Um, there is Jehovah Ra'a, which is the Lord is my shepherd, um, which is um, just kind of a tribute to his guidance over us, his protection over us, which we see a lot in Psalm 23, which is probably the most um, popular verse that talks about the Lord as our shepherd. There is Jehovah Shema, which is the Lord is there. Um, which is basically just another way to say that he is with us. He is present through his Holy Spirit uh, within us as believers. Um, so basically just the presence of the Lord being described there, that the Lord is here with us. Um, and then there's Jehovah. Oh, my goodness. I have no idea how to pronounce this one. It's like Sidkenu, oh, um, which yeah. is the Lord. I know it has like a T in the front, but then there's an S. I so think if you know how to pronounce that, please help. <laughs> I don't, but I think you did. Okay. I think you did a great job personally. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> so, but basically that one means that the Lord is our righteousness. Uh, so we are saved by grace through faith alone. Um, we were dead in sin and the Lord has saved us by his power and his grace through regeneration. Um, and then we have Jehovah Mecca Dish Dishkem. Uh, which is the Lord who sanctifies you. Um, so I did want to touch on this a little bit longer. Um, like, what does it mean to be sanctified? So the word in the Greek for sanctified is agiazo, which is translated as to make holy, to consecrate, and to sanctify. Um, so sanctification is what comes after justification. Uh, we are justified in a single act, um, in a single moment, whereas sanctification is a lifelong process that begins right after that justification. Um, so we are justified by Christ's sacrifice on the cross, and then as the Holy Spirit begins to work within us, we are constantly being sanctified until the end of our time here on earth where we will join the Lord in heaven. Um, so basically, uh, this name for the Lord is basically just the definition of who um, produces that act within us, um, who sanctifies us, who is the one who sanctifies us, basically. So that's describing God in that way. Um, and then there's Jehovah Jireh, which I know um, a lot of people probably know now because of the song. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you heard that song? 
I have. Yeah, I remember seeing it in church sometimes. It's a really nice song. Yes, it is a nice song. But anyway, just random side note. If you haven't heard that song, it is really good. It's really yes. a reminder of God being our provider. So um, going off of that, Jehovah Jireh means that the Lord will provide. So God provides for his people. Um, he always has. We see this uh, so often without uh, within scripture. Um, we can think of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, that's one of the... Um, Examples that I think of in the New Testament in Matthew 6, where Jesus tells us um, not to worry, where he tells the people that he's uh, teaching at that time not to worry. Um, He talks about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field and that um, our Lord takes care of them and how much more value are we. Um, So in the Old Testament, God also provided for his people. We see it over and over and over again with uh, Israel that God provides for them um, despite their rebellion towards him. Um, And despite their disobedience, he continues to provide for them. Um, then we have Jehovah Shalom, which is the Lord is our peace. Um, so Jesus is called the Prince of Peace um, in Isaiah 9, 6. And um, we see this just throughout the Bible. Uh, in general, we see a lot of uh, the peace of God being mentioned as well. And then we have um, Jehovah Sabaoth, which is the Lord of hosts. Um, So this name refers to the power and the sovereignty of God. Um, Once again, he is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, just like we mentioned before. Um, So that's kind of just his, um, like the definition of him, the name of him as the Lord of hosts, the Lord Lord who is sovereign um, and omnipotent over all. So next, we also wanted to explore a different category of names that God has. So uh, Liv just did an awesome job of talking over some of our, some of the Jehovah names, and I get to discuss some of the L names. So these are the names that describe God's glory, his majesty, his worthiness of our worship. And it reminds us that God is supreme over all. And I think this really goes back to the discussion we had last week as well about the different attributes of God and the way that he is completely above all and a completely different type of being from us. But the first one is El Shaddai, which translates into English, Lord God Almighty. And there are a lot of areas you will find this in the Bible, but a couple examples are in Genesis. So in Genesis 17, um, which is the passage where God calls Abram, who he renames Abraham, Uh, into his purposes. And when he calls him, the Lord appears to Abram and said, I am God Almighty, which is translated from El Shaddai. I have made you a father of many nations and I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. So that's an example of the way that God calls himself that and is very clear that that is who he is. And that when he was talking to Abram, he was not just any other deity giving empty promises, but that he is the Lord God Almighty and that not only will he make the promise, but he has the power Mm -hmm. to fulfill it and bring it to fruition. Mm -hmm. The second one is El Elyon, which means the most high God, which sounds pretty familiar to and similar to the first one. Mm -hmm. But this one again harkens back to the fact that God is not just all powerful, but he's also above all that he rules all. And we see an example of this in Psalm 57, verse 2, which says, I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. 
Mm-hmm. And it reminds me even of that first passage from Genesis, how, you know, God doesn't just have the power to make the promise to fulfill it, to see, to finish that work he began in you and carry out his promises through broken people. And the third one is El Elo, Elohim, Olam. I think I'm saying that one right. We're trying our best, guys. We're not Hebrew Greek scholars. <laughs> I'm working on it, but you know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But that one refers to the fact that he is the everlasting God and his eternal attribute. So an example of that is, again, in Genesis chapter 21, verse 33, um, where Abraham there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Another example is in Jeremiah 10, verse 10. The Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. Mm. Um, And the last one is Isaiah 26, 4, trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. So you see, you see this idea of God being everlasting, consistent throughout the scriptures. Do you have any thoughts Mm -hmm. on that? Yeah, I love that. I love these names. I feel like they are not ones that you hear a lot. Um, Like, I feel like a lot of the other ones um, you'll kind of hear here and there, um, you know, maybe at church or in songs, you know, just things like that. Um, But I feel like these aren't really ones that are discussed that much. Um, And honestly, they're so important because they really do talk about um, like God being God, you know, being above all else. Yeah. Um, they they really discuss his incommunicable attributes, just kind of like what right. we were talking about in the last episode. Um, you know, he is the Lord God Almighty, he is the most high, he is everlasting. Like these are not things that we share with him. These are not things that like we could ever be. Um, and they are um, you know, the names of God describing truly how glorious he is. Um, how worthy of our worship he is. So I think that they're super important to um, to talk about and to know, honestly. Yeah, and I think you're right when it's it's kind of easy to gloss over them because they're similar and they sound mm-hmm. similar and they mean similar things. You know, right. the Lord God Almighty, the Most High God, and the Everlasting God, all they all relate to each other in some way. Right. And I think that can kind of be the same for... Uh, the mo- some of the most common names that God, uh, that the Israelites referred to when they spoke of God. Mm-hmm. And up till now, we've been talking about some of the more rare names that we see less often throughout the scriptures. Um, but it really brings us to what God is most often called throughout the Hebrew mm-hmm. scriptures. And that is the word Yahweh. When you see in your Bibles, the word Lord and mm-hmm. L-O-R and D are all capitalized. This is the word you're seeing being translated into English for you, which is different from lowercase L-O-R-D, because that word in Hebrew is master or like ruler over something. And that could Mm -hmm. refer to like a shepherd over his flock or a farmer tending to his land. So it really is a different, a completely different word because God is the Lord of Lords. Right. And that relates back that word Yahweh also to the word Adonai, which are both similar names, but they reflect a different relationship between God and his people. So right. Adonai is God's name for master and Yahweh is God's name for Jehovah. 
So this is a personal name and is known as the proper name for the God of Israel, which is why it's seen so often in the Old Testament. And there's much deeper history we could get into about the different ways right. God's name has been written down visually and the the holiness of his name, which actually, you know, the, is caused the Israelites to write his name differently in the Hebrew scriptures so that they could honor God. So there was even... There was even intention within them to not say his full name, Yahweh, out loud in order to maintain their their consideration of him as the holy of holies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like maintain that respect. Um, Yeah, for sure. I think it's really interesting because um, we definitely see a difference in the way that God is referenced, um, in the old Testament versus the new, um, cause we do see the word Yahweh show up very, very often in the old Testament. Um, and it's actually interesting because if you read the Hebrew language, um, once again, I am not a Hebrew scholar. However, I am in school right now to get my MDiv. So I have, taken a couple language classes <laughs> and so i learned this fun fact from a hebrew class um but basically if you're reading the hebrew language you're reading the old testament in the way that it was originally written whenever you come across the name yahweh you actually don't even say it out loud you say adonai like you say that instead of yahweh um So it is kind of interesting just to see the difference, the reverence, the respect that was given um, towards God's name. Not that that isn't the case in the New Testament, but it is just kind of different. Like it's different the way that it's written out, um, the way that it's um, kind of talked about, Um, which honestly, it kind of just makes me sad because when we hear God's name nowadays, it's like so not respected or um, revered the way that it should be. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like we even hear like God's name or Jesus's name used as like a curse word sometimes, which is like just the worst thing that always like hurts my soul so much. Like Whenever I hear people use that, um, it's like to curse something or even just like out of surprise, like they just kind of throw it around. Like it doesn't mean anything. Um, like it's just so sad. It's heartbreaking. Um, but yeah, so again, we just see such a difference there, but, um, what do you think about that, Allison? Like, um, have you kind of experienced that in today's culture? Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that because it is really different the way that the the Hebrew authors consider the Lord's name and the Mm -hmm. way we do it's, it's starkly different. Um, and as you mentioned, that God's name is is used in vain. It's used as a curse. And there are, there is, um, in the scriptures, God tells us not to do that. He tells us not to disrespect right. his name like that. And you could come up to someone anytime and just say, you shouldn't curse. You shouldn't say right. the Lord's name in vain or Jesus's name in vain, but they won't understand. They're just going to brush you off and think, you know, whatever, you're square, you're just a prude and you want to judge other people. But the truth is that when you do understand the depth of the meaning of the Lord's name and where we get it from now, Mm -hmm. that again, it's been translated through a different language. So when you unpack those layers, you realize what exactly you are saying. And it's using the Lord most high's name in vain, the everlasting God's name in vain, the healer's name in vain. 
the Prince of Peace's name in vain. And when you realize that, I think that really helps because even I had a period in my life where I struggled more with, with curse words and with, you know, having a mouth that wasn't always praising the Lord. And even now I don't Mm -hmm. always. And so, you know, not to be condemning at all because it's something we've all struggled with, but it is heartbreaking to realize once you are aware of the meaning of God's name, it's really hard to unknow that, to go back and just ignore that and keep going on your way. Right. I don't know. It For me, I think it was pretty much impossible once I did realize what I was actually saying for yeah. me to continue on doing that. It was just, yeah, I knew what I was doing was wrong. Right. Well, yeah, because I think like um, the reason why is so important here because, you know, we can over and over and over again, um, and we see this actually a lot in the church just in general, like to get legalistic about things and just say, don't do that because like there's no reason almost. Do you know what I mean? It's like because you don't do that, like, because you're not supposed to kind of thing. Um, and while that is a reason, like in and of itself, I suppose, like just kind of saying that's not right. So don't do that. Um, I really do think like as believers, um, we have the ability to desire something higher. Um, and this is not something that people who do not have um, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit have. Um, so it's not something that, you know, should be taken for granted. Like God is our sanctifier. Um, we saw that, you know, just talking about, um, the names of Jehovah earlier, that God is the one who sanctifies us. Um, so as we are sanctified, our desires begin to change. Um, we no longer desire to do sinful things. We'll always have the temptation, um, to sin. We'll always have the temptation to, you know, do things that are, um, you know, that might look good in the moment or might, um, you know, make us feel like we fit in more or um, other people will accept us more, like all those kinds of things. But our desires begin to change in the way that like when we do sin, we're highly convicted. Um, when we do, you know, do those things, we we know like there there's something inside us, like the Holy Spirit within us is just grieved by those things. And so I think that's like, that's why we as believers, when we hear God's name taken in vain, when we hear Jesus's name being used as a curse word, it genuinely hurts because our desire, you know, is for, um, for God. Our desire is for, um, the goodness of God, for his name to be revered, for his name to be respected, for, um, you know, him to be treated as holy and worthy. Um, just because we do have that indwelling of the Holy spirit within us as well. Yeah. I think it's so important that you mentioned that there are many things, in the church that are said that are often not backed up with an explanation. And Mm, that can be really hard for some people. I know I've struggled with it in the past, even myself hearing certain commandments, certain do's or don'ts that are in the Bible. And for good reason, if you dig deep enough, you will see why Mm -hmm. typically if God is telling you not to do something, first of all, it's because it doesn't honor him. But second of all, it's going to lead to your destruction and he's protecting yeah. you from something that you might walk into that he doesn't he doesn't have for you. It's not in his plan for you. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of times I think that if we're not careful as believers, if we do apply legalistic standards to other people and we don't take the time to go over why, to talk about why we refrain from doing certain things, I think it can really tarnish our witness especially to 
non-believers. An example of that, I think, could be, I think a good example is drinking. With, with alcohol, even, reason why we abstain from getting drunk, first of all, God told us. Second of all, it is protecting right. us because too much alcohol has a bad effect on your body, especially if it's, you know, if it's done over the course of many years, it can really, right. really affect your physical health. But further than that, it alters your state of consciousness. And it's not what God wants for us. But if you were to be at a party and everyone's asking you why you're not drinking and why you're not getting drunk and having fun, if you were to just say, you know, God told me not to, it's wrong without any explanation as to why it's there, why that, why he set that in place to to take care of us, to give us boundaries that will help us help each other. People are kind of going to look at you and just be like, well, again, you're square, you're prude, and you don't want to have fun. And sometimes they might say that, even if you do explain yeah. yourself, you know, people are going to say whatever they're going to say, and they may think the worst of you, even if you do take the time. But it is really important, I think, to be faithful to our witness to explain why we do certain things or don't do other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely true. Because, yeah, like as much as you can put yourself in those situations, and honestly, we are called to witness to others. Um, so I truly do believe that we are called to go to the dark places um, in order to bring light there and to be a witness for Christ. Um, but you're not going to accomplish anything if you're going there and just acting like everybody else and you're just doing what everybody else is doing, or you're abstaining, but not explaining anything, not using that as, um, a way to kind of bring, um, you know, the gospel to people to kind of explain, um, you know, why you don't want to do things or Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, because yeah, at the end of the day, when we are in Christ, we are a new creation. Mm -hmm. Um, and so because of that, you know, God does give us these directions so that, um, we can pursue holiness. We can pursue righteousness. Um, and those things are, you know, vital to the Christian life, um, and to just knowing God to, um, becoming more like Jesus. And of course we'll never get there. We are humans. We are fallen. We are sinful. So we'll never be exactly like Jesus, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive for his character as well. Um, so actually something that, um, we found super interesting when we were kind of researching, um, this topic was just like the names that have been changed in the Bible by God. Um, so I know this is something that we kind of wanted to talk about a little bit and it kind of does go along with being a new creation. Like when we are renewed by God, um, there are many times in the Bible where we see God rename someone. Um, so Allison, did you want to kind of touch on that a little bit? For sure. I think that one thing that we can keep in mind when we start thinking about our names is how significant it is. If you've ever been bullied or you've been name called in the past, that that really sticks with you. And how mm-hmm. important it is when we think about the way we honor God's name, just the same other way. Not that, you know, we could bully God or that we have any kind of power over him, but just the significance of what we call each other and what we call God, it really does matter. And it's important mm-hmm. because of what he calls us as well. There may be different ways that society may try to, to name us and to label us. So, if we are abstaining from something that we know we shouldn't do, that isn't right, we might be called judgmental. We might be called hateful. We might be called bigots. We might be called all sorts of names. And even the Bible says that, 
you are blessed when people revile you and they say all kinds of hate against you. If you're doing it, if you're bearing that for the Lord, if you're bearing it on mm-hmm. his behalf. And so when society might name us something like judgmental, God might be naming us instead sanctified or continuing mm-hmm. to be sanctified. And there are different ways that God will refer to us versus the way society or people around us may try to understand us. And so we see really clear examples of that in a lot of the Bible. So one example that I mentioned earlier, I talked about Abram, who was renamed Abraham by God. Mm -hmm. And there are other people that were also renamed. Jacob was also renamed. He was renamed Israel. And he, out of his children, became the tribe of Israel. Another Mm -hmm. example in the New Testament is when Saul is renamed Paul and he becomes the Apostle Paul that we are all very familiar with because he wrote such a large portion of what we read in the New Testament. And so often we will see that when God renames us, it signals a huge change in our lives. It signals that we are becoming someone new, that we've been maybe turned around or placed on a different path that will change the course of our life forever. But then again, on the flip side of that, there are people that have been renamed by their culture. So, for Mm -hmm. example, Joseph and Daniel were renamed um, into names that were of the culture. So Joseph took on an Egyptian name when he was living in Egypt, and Daniel also was renamed. So he was given the name Belshazzar. 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 Thank you so much. But both these people, although the culture may have tried to relabel and rename them and try to get them to act like them and conform to them, both these people are awesome examples of how you don't have to let culture rename you. You don't have to let society label you. You can do exactly what God has called you to, and you can let those names and those labels just roll off your shoulders. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's some examples of how God renames us versus how society may try to rename us. Yeah. That's interesting too. Cause one thing that I was thinking about when you were talking about that is like, for instance, Joseph and Daniel were renamed by culture, but they're still in the Bible as Joseph and Daniel. Like they're not in the Bible as their other right. like society given names. Whereas Abram and Jacob and Paul, like, um, are all referred to as their new names that were given by God um, Mm -hmm. from that time forward. So we see Abram called Abram before he was renamed, but then afterwards he's always referred to as Abraham. Likewise with Paul. Um, Half the time, if you talk about Paul, um, like if you were to say Saul, people would literally think you were talking about King Saul from the Old Testament because like that's just not how we think of Paul at all. Um, we definitely think of him by his new name for sure. Yeah. I think that's um, amazing because it's also a picture of how once we are justified in Jesus, once we are believers mm-hmm. and we have taken on that name of Christ follower, God lover, child of God, nothing can take that away from you. Nothing can pull you back. And that's right. an amazing picture. There is also a verse that explains that we can't be plucked out from the hand of God. We can't lose God's love. There's, you know, there's nothing that could separate us from, but the author of Romans says in Romans eight, verse 38, for I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
And that, again, just comes back to once God's renamed you, once he's called you his, you don't ever have to go back. No mm-hmm. one can ever yeah. pull you away from that. There's nothing power and powerful, more powerful than God, nothing powerful enough to take you away from him. Right. Yeah, for sure. It definitely makes me think of um, just the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Like um, that is such a comforting thing to know that um, like once saved, always saved, you know? And I mean, we'll, we'll probably talk about that at a later time, just like really getting into the depths of that because it's very complex and we know we're talking about humans. So, um, there are lots of people's stories where we see faltering, where we see backsliding, where we see people, um, you know, who may appear to walk away from faith and things like that. So we'll definitely talk about that more and dive into that more at a later time. Um, but just in general for today's conversation, I really do think that's such a comforting thing. Um, like once God has has declared you as his, you cannot be taken from him. You cannot be, um, you know, failed by that. And you're not going to be like, you're not going to fall away basically ever. Like that's not going to happen once God has chosen you, once he, once he has declared you as his and as a new creation. Yeah. Another thing too, is not just maybe outside sources that may be trying to influence you, but yourself, your mistakes could never be powerful enough to stop God's mm-hmm. plan for you, for the other people in your life, or for the the things he is accomplishing in the world. Because you will see with Abraham and with other, you know, really prominent figures in the Bible, you will see them make mistake after mistake right. after mistake. And just when you think there's one guy who seems to have it all together and has done a great job, and maybe there were times they even thought that this person is so great. They might be the king or the Messiah that has been promised to us. Mm-hmm. They mess up. I think David is a great example of that. How for sure he is someone that had a fall from grace, but for so long, it seemed like he had everything going for him, but even he had his, his downfall, but regardless, Jesus still came through his line. So nothing, nothing that anyone could do to you, but also no screw up you could make, it would be powerful enough to stop God. And that's also so comforting to me that once mm-hmm. I'm under, under his love and his protection and on his, you know, on the path of his plan for my life, there's nothing I could do that could derail him, which is amazing. Yeah, that's true. That's something actually um, my husband and I were talking about like just earlier today. Um, just the fact that that really is so comforting because Um, Yes, there are things in the world that tempt us. Yes, there are other people in the world that can call us things and make us, you know, feel like we might be labeled as one thing when that's really not who we are in Christ. Um, But ultimately, like the biggest or like the person that I need to be saved from the most is myself. You know, like I'm, I can definitely doubt and I can, um, you know, say the wrong thing. I can think the wrong thing. I can do the wrong thing constantly. Um, and I'm, you know, constantly in this battle between my flesh and my spirit. And so, um, the person that I need to be saved from the most when it comes to my faith faltering really is myself. So the fact that, um, we do have that promise from God that he will keep us, that he will sustain us, um, is such a comforting promise because we know that, um, nothing outside of us, nothing within us can take us away from that. And I think that's what brings such weight to the names that we call him, Mm -hmm. right? Like when we say Jehovah Nisi, it's the Lord is my banner. 
I represent him. Yeah. That's, that's who I get to be associated with. Your banner doesn't actually have to be a big sign with a list of all your sins. Yeah. With a list true. of the things you've done in your past with your scarlet letter, you know, on, you know, on your jacket or whatever it may be. And there's, right. you know, there's so many other ways that, that the ways that it brings weight to what we call him in relation to who we are and how fallen and broken we are. Mm-hmm. Because we don't have to live under our mistakes or we don't have to experience what it's like to be separated from him because he sanctifies us, which brings even more weight to the name of the Lord who sanctifies you. So every single one of them, we can trace it back to the work he's doing in our lives and that he's not sometimes the Lord that heals and other Mm -hmm. times he's the Lord of peace. He's all of them all the time. He's consistent. We can always trust that there's never going to be a part of his character that's compromised for the other. And we will talk about this later as well, but it's not that his holiness will ever outweigh his love or vice versa. It's that he's both 100% all the time. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that's really hard to comprehend. I think (laughs) you're like, what do you mean you're like (laughs) love and justice at the exact same time? Like, what do you mean? But um, yeah, definitely. That's super awesome. I, I just think that it's such a beautiful thing that like our banner is Christ. Um, I love what you said about like, we don't have to wear a banner of like our sins and our downfalls and our backslides. Like we wear the banner that is Christ because we are in Christ um, just through his sacrifice on the cross. Um, that's such a beautiful thing that when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of his son. Um, he doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see our downfalls. He truly sees that we are in Christ. Um, so in that, um, you know, we are justified and we are being sanctified. So, um, we did kind of want to bring this back um, as we head towards the end of our discussion here, just about um, God himself. We've talked a lot about kind of us and what this has to do with our walk with God, but um, we did want to touch a little bit on, um, you know, like what God says it is okay to call him and what he says it is not okay to call him. In his word, he is very clear about his names and what he should be referred to and what he should not be referred to. So, Um, Did you want to kind of talk about that a little bit? Sure. So one example of a name that he absolutely does endorse for himself are, of course, all the ones that we've discussed so far, but even a label like God of all mankind. And that's one that we find in Jeremiah 32, verse 27, is you'll Mm -hmm. you'll see these names and these labels throughout the Bible that are consistent with everything else so far. Because when you think of God being of all mankind, It comes back all the way to Genesis and the creation story that he created us and he created this whole world and that he Mm -hmm. chose, he selected humans to partner with him in making the world flourish. That's an example of a name that he absolutely does endorse for himself and the way that you won't necessarily see right after a label or a name for God, God will say, you know, this is who I am called. It won't always be obvious like that, right? There are times where it will be, right? You know, mm-hmm. God will explicitly say himself, and that's how you can know for sure. But right. if you find something that is consistent across the biblical narrative, then you know you, yeah. you've got the right thing. Um, but like we talked about even last week, uh, a name that he rejects is the name liar, because that would be just so inconsistent with all the rest of what he has done in scripture. And I even mm-hmm. wanted to just mention that God doesn't just represent truth, but he is truth. So there's no way he could be called liar or be associated with anything close 
to a lie because he is the embodiment of truth. So those are just a couple examples of how God is perfect, holy, and the source of all good. And he cannot be defined as anything else. He can't be associated with anything that has to do with sin or wickedness as these things are not in him and not from him at all. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. And that is like another reason why we do think that it is so important to know the names of God, know what they're defined as because they define God, you know, they are his name. Um, They define who he is. They talk more about his character um, and kind of add to that. Um, And I mean, one thing that we can know too, kind of like what you were saying about a liar, um, like we know that that is not of God. That is not a name that he um, can be called because the source of all truth is within him. Um, kind of similar to that, like knowing what he's not also helps us to know who he is. Yeah. Um, so like one form of theology is known as apophatic theology or negative theology. Um, it actually describes God in terms of what he is not rather than what he's in, uh, excuse me, what he is. Um, so like, for example, like God is not evil. God is not a liar. Um, God is not sinful, you know, those kinds of things. Um, so they basically describe what he's not and then therefore kind of describe what he is, if that makes any sense. Yes. Um, so one quote that I thought um, kind of defined this a little bit and supported this um, is from Tertullian. Um, and it states, that which is infinite is known only to itself. This it is, which gives some notion of God, while yet beyond all our conceptions, our very incapacity of fully grasping him affords us the idea of what he really is. He is presented to our minds in his transcendent greatness as at once known and unknown. Um, so it's kind of a like written in a very academic way, <laughs> I suppose you could say, Um Basically, in short, if you want to read Tertullian, it's not like an easy read. So um, carve out some time for that. But um, (laughs) yeah, but basically just in short, um, we can know God, you know, both by what he is and how he is described in scripture and also by what he's not. Um, And that kind of gives just a full, well-rounded view of truly who God is, what he is not of and what he is of as well. Yes, I think that is super common, if I'm not mistaken, among the Hebrew literature that it's a very typical and common device to describe something as what it's not, not just Mm -hmm. with God, but across the scriptures. And I I don't know if that's something that's really common with Greek because I'm not as familiar, but I do know that's a pretty common feature of Hebrew literature. And I think that can sometimes be lost when you're reading the Mm -hmm. Bible in English, because that's not, I don't know if that's something that we do as much in English or as intentionally. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Cause I think like while scripture in general, like the, um, the doctrines of scripture, the importance of scripture and things like that, like aren't, can't be lost in translation because it's preserved by God himself. Um, I do think that when you read something that's been translated from the original language, there are like little things here and there that can definitely be lost. Um, so things like that. Yeah, for sure. Like there can be things here and there that describe something. What does this all mean, really? This is a lot of information, a lot of unfamiliar words, words that I think some of them will stick with us and some of them might not necessarily stick with us. But truly, Mm -hmm. the names of us tell us, the names for God tell us who he is. That, again, like we said, and even in our first episode, God describes himself. He's very clear about who he is. 
And so it's so important to know as believers, what are his names? Because we want to know the God we serve. We want to be able to call upon him by his real names. And when we are maybe facing certain moments where a certain name for God may be more comforting or maybe more applicable or help teach us something more in that moment to even be aware that there's something else I could even call God than instead of just God. That's mm-hmm. amazing. That's amazing to be able to call upon him when you're experiencing something that is you know, very specific and then he has a name that addresses that he rules over that part of your life, whether that's mm-hmm. physical health, emotional health or spiritual health, there's a name that will, that is corresponding to what you may be experiencing in that time. And it yeah, just reminds sure. us again, that these names teach us how to worship. They teach us that we're made in the image of God through those communicable attributes that we do share. But they also teach us that, again, to be reminded that God is transcendent above all. And we will never understand everything about him. But it just reminds us again that we should honor his name. We should keep his name, keep the name of the Lord holy, because there is so much more depth and meaning to just three-letter word God than we could even ever imagine. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. Um, Well, we're going to close out here. We've been talking for a while now (laughs) on the names of God, for sure. Um, Once again, kind of like we said in our last episode, this is by far not all of the information on God's name. There's so much more information on this, so much more that we could talk about, that we could go into the history of each name, how it's been used, et cetera. Um, But we just wanted to provide a brief overview because we feel that it is important as believers. Um, Again, this teaches us um, who we serve. It teaches us how to serve. It teaches us how to worship, who we're worshiping um, as well. So um, thank you so much for joining us, guys. We hope that you'll join us next time as well. Um, If you weren't able to listen to episode one, we would highly encourage you to go uh, listen to it because it was kind of a precursor for today's episode. Um, If you want to follow us on Instagram, our Instagram handle is Cedar in Cypress Pod, and we will see you guys next time.